Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I think we all need to just embrace the fact that perfect is harmful and the imperfect is actually better. And so if you are a perfectionist and you're like, well, I want to get this perfect, then you best make mistakes in front of your kids. So we're all very interconnected here. We sure are. Now, I, I also have to, can I say this? I'm not um, thrilled. <laughs> um, I almost was Aliza's step-grandmother. I'd be a step-grandmother. Can you imagine? My daughter almost, well, I don't, I don't know how close it was, but they almost <laughs> married her father. And we, I would have been her step-grandmother. <laughs> Oh my gosh, and uh, it is crazy. But it is really nice to see that you have grown up and that you are now a PhD and a very accomplished writer and an amazing doctor and, and you have helped so, so many people with seedlings and the other things that you do for people. And thank you so much. Thank it's you really for being amazing. here. I'm very excited for this. Well, it's, uh, for me, it's uh, terrific to be back here at the 92nd Street, uh, New York, uh, Y. And tonight, as I said, we're talking to Dr. Lisa Prisman about her new book, Just Out Today. She appeared on the Today Show this morning, and the book on Amazon is number 20 in the bestseller list, which is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> the book is entitled The Five Principles of Parenting. We're also recording our conversation tonight uh, to post on my podcast, The Martha Podcast, on iHeart. So I've known Eliza as a parent and as a parenting expert for a long time. Uh, she is a developmental psychologist and the co-founder of Seedlings Group and the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. And she hosts the popular podcast, Raising Good Humans. That's another co kind of coincidence. You and I both work at Mount Sinai. I have the Martha Stewart Center for Living for Geriatric Medicine, and you are dealing with children. Yeah, just different. So, that's right, different age groups. And, uh, and by the way, Raising Good Humans has over 20 million downloads. So um, we're here because we're afraid that we have or will screw up our children. But Dr. Elisa Presman is here to help all of us. Um, so, Elisa, have we screwed up our kids? Okay. Or are we in the process of doing so? No, we are not in the process of doing so, but we, we do need to take a beat and realize that it's not as hard the science is not as hard and complicated and precious 
about raising our kids, but in the process of holding on so tight and trying to make everything so perfect, we might actually be doing our kids and ourselves a disservice. Hmm. Elaborate. Okay. So the science tells us there are five principles. Now, obviously, I've curated the science, and it's very robust, decades long. This is not my science. This is the science of child development and human development. So there are five principles, relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. And when you can adhere to those more often than not, you really can do everything possible to not screw up your kids. And if we let ourselves have a little space to make mistakes in front of our kids, they realize that humans are making mistakes, we're fallible, we make repairs and we move on. So a lot of this is about letting go of clinging to the perfect parenting and recognizing that that's actually getting in our way. Well, from Dr. Spock, which I think I grew up on, <laughs> and my mom had six kids. I grew up on Dr. And, Spock. And mom, mom was so great, she, she, just, she just went for it. But she was a teacher, too. She, she sort of had the essentials uh, to, uh, to struggling with an only child. That's what I did, an only child. And, um, but now to mommy bloggers, and there's a plethora of parenting advice out there. What sets your book apart? I would say, first, there are incredible researchers, there are incredible psychologists, scientists. I have wonderful colleagues. I just wanted to put them all under one roof and kind of clear away the noise. So I would say this book clears away the noise, gets down to what really matters, and then there's a whole part of the book that's about coming to terms with what your values are and what you care about. So I'm not telling anybody what is important to them. That's, that's on every individual and every family. And then, ideally, the second half of the book just shows you how to put it into practice in the ways that we all kind of understand are happening from birth through adolescence. I went to a party the other night uh, for, for the book, and every young, famous mother was there at the party, <laughs> uh, all relying on Dr. Eliza. And I, I think it's really fabulous, though, because people really do appreciate the advice you give. It's not so complicated, but it is very sensible. And how does your book really help parents rely less on parenting advice and more on common sense? I think by distilling the science and saying, here's what really matters, it's five principles. And that's what's in our control as parents. Like, we can't control our kids. We can't control other people, as hard as that is to realize. But we can control ourselves. So making sure that you control yourself in these ways, you pay attention to the relationships that you have, you reflect on your experience being parented and how that informed maybe how you interact in the world. And then you regulate so that you can kind of have control over your emotions in a way, not to remove them, but just say, I'm intentional about my emotions. I'm, I'm going to be able to make choices about my parenting that are intentional. And that you have rules, because rules matter. We need boundaries. We, meet, we need to set limits in the context of having a close relationship. And then when we screw up, did you say screwing up kids? So when we screw up, we make repairs. Yeah. And it's not that, it's like that for everything, even though, of course, in the book, I go through all the different challenges that are pretty typical, because I know that it's hard to say, like, well, how does that translate in everyday moments? But I think over time, ideally, you're getting fluent in this, and it's quite easy. What's not easy is the, the emotional stuff that happens and the, the feelings that we have because we're human. So in this world of such frequent divorce, um, separation, all kinds of stuff, I mean, you've gone through that. Yeah. You have two lovely daughters. How do you explain all of that to the kids? So there are two things that I like to say that just remind us 
that the feelings themselves of hard events are not the problem. So I like to say all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. So you're allowed to have feelings, including being really upset that your parents are getting divorced. The key is that you are safe to share those feelings with your parents and that you have somebody who will just be there with you through the feelings, not fix the feelings, not try to change the world around them so that they don't have to go through the hard times, but kind of give them the tools, dress them for the weather that they're experiencing. So in the context of divorce, the, the kinds of stressors that come at us, like divorce, like death, like war, like pandemics, they can be toxic. Everything, everything that everything we've experienced, experienced right, right this minute. Absolutely. Those can be, when piled on or individually, just highly stressful to the point of toxic stress. And that can, over decades, create health outcomes we don't want, mental illness and physical illness that we don't want. But when you have one loving and supportive caregiver, and it only takes one, then you, you can move those stressors from being categorized from toxic to tolerable, and that builds resilience. So we want that, and that is the thing that, that when everybody's worried they're screwing up, whether it's because of divorce or because of the pandemic or because of some other issue, the question is, can I be there in a close relationship through all the things that are messy? And if you can, you're not screwing up your kids. I mean, they might end up in therapy, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, your background is in developmental psychology. What does that mean exactly? It means that I look at change over time and how we come to be who we are, which is different than, for example, clinical psychology, where you're looking at psychopathology, kind of what's going wrong. I'm not looking at what's going wrong. I mean, I might, but mostly yeah. I'm looking at how did we get here and what, it, what in the environment can we shift to support thriving? So the, the two kids in your family, well, you're also a daughter of a divorced couple. Sure am. Yeah, and was that difficult for you? I mean, I will say this, research, in my field, there is a saying, research is me-search. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there is, it's not a coincidence that I went into this field. I think having a cololorful, wacky, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right words, but having kind of- You can say anything. I know your father very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you I'm worried about. But um, I think having those early experiences probably made me quite curious. Like, how do we get to be who we are and how- how do we bounce back? So my parents got divorced when I was 18 months old. I don't oh. remember. A th I don't remember parents together. Oh, so that's I'm a sure my nervous system remembers right. that experience of that separation, but I certainly don't have conscious memory of it. But was this was this your goal to study this all along uh, through college and beyond? No, I failed psych one in college. <laughs> because I didn't understand freshman fall, this is not flattering, but I didn't understand freshman fall that you, to drop a course, you have to go to registration and tell them that you dropped oh, the course. Oh, oh. So that was my, that did not get received well by my parents. And so I never looked at psychology again until after I finished college and I, I kind of took a range of psych courses and when I took developmental psychology, I just fell in love with this idea that we can understand who we are today by looking at our early experiences. Well, you're also certified in parent management training. What does that mean? Um, it's the worst name. It's a training program that they have at the Yale Child Study Center that is very much behavior-oriented. So you give positive feedback for behavior you want to see, and you give either no feedback or occasionally, obviously, have to intervene for behaviors you don't want to see. It's not something that I pull out of my hat very often, but if somebody's really struggling and their goal is compliance, like caring what 
that your child is behaving versus maybe trying to understand the root of the behavior. If somebody says, look, I don't care why it's happening, I just want it to stop, then I would pull that out of the hat and say, okay, there is an option. Well, you're so lucky because you, you started your practice in a time when universal kind of correspondence was so was so good. I mean, we have Instagram, yeah. we have TikTok, we have texting and emails. It makes it so much easier to communicate. So how have you found that? I think what, there was something that happened with social, something combining social media, the pandemic, and just all the things that have happened in the past that made communicating so easy. I think a great thing is that when it's working, it brings parents together that need support. And unfortunately, the, the bad part of it is there's this inundation of content and it's not really vetted and you don't really know who to trust or what to trust and it's not dissimilar to what's going on in the news or anything else. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Back to parenting itself. Why is um, perfect parenting the enemy of good parenting? Now, when you say that, which I do say that in the book. I thought I was such a good parent, but I was, I was such a bad parent in retrospect. <laughs> And I'm here, I'm here for some therapy here, too. This is, this is important for me. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Not with the grandchildren. Grandchildren are great. It's a, 
I think that's another, first of all, nobody cares about the kids once they have grandkids anyway. Right. <laughs> um, so you work on that relationship. And I think reflecting on what you feel like didn't go well in your experience being parented and then what happened in your experience as a mother will change your relationship with your grandchildren. Yeah, well, I, your book is so helpful, actually. Um, and uh, and I, I do wish it had been there instead of Dr. Spock 56 years ago. It would have been a, a helpful book. And um, how do the new households affect parenting? I mean, there are two male households or two female households. There's uh, divorced and undivorced. And I mean, there's so many different kinds of households. Does it make it more difficult? Does it make it less difficult? At this party, I mean, there was every kind of household, right? <laughs> at the party that you had last week? Yeah. So we have looked at this, and the the key is you really only need one caregiver. Okay. doesn't matter what their gender is. One caregiver where you feel really loved and safe and seen and connected. Great if you have two. Great if you have more people in your life. But mm-hmm. you, you need one. And when you're missing that one, you, you can even seek that out you know, as you get older in a coach or um, a teacher or an aunt, but, or aunt, depending. And um, so it really, the, the, the thing that we worry about is, I'm, you know, I'm divorced, I'm a single parent, I'm a single sex household, I'm, you know, all the different things that don't feel traditional, but that's not actually impacting kids. What impacts kids is the relationship. And that's the thing that we have to focus on, and we try to focus on the things. And I remember, like, I didn't want to get divorced, even though it was the right thing for our family, because I thought, that's not good for kids. But when you really peel back the research, the problem is it's not the actual divorce. It's issues with finance. It's issues with the co-parents not getting along and having tension, putting the kids in between. Like, the issue isn't the actual single-parent household. What are the most common dilemmas that you hear from parents? Or, or a parent. Or a parent. Yeah, because you probably have a lot. How many single parents do you have? A lot, probably. I, I, I have fewer single parents, but I do have single parents. But I will say I usually don't have both parents contacting me. It's usually one parent. One parent. Yeah, and then maybe they tell the other parent. And I don't know that they deliver the message accurately. Right. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's just like, that's what Elisa said. But I think the biggest pain point for parents right now is balancing how to have a close relationship with also having boundaries and rules that are helping them be members of society. And so the discomfort in that, like seeing your, your child uncomfortable is really hard for people, which makes sense. It's, it's hard. But when we fix everything and make it easy, we, we don't give them the opportunity to know that feelings, that are that challenges are survivable. And what kind of lessons can grandparents learn from your book? Well, the same lessons is that your relationship is what's important, that when you pause and don't just react and you really listen to what this human needs. I actually think one cool thing for grandparents is to really take the opportunity because you're not in the same, the tension is not the same as when you're a parent and you're like, it's all on me. And so you can enjoy these children in a different kind of way. And you can also say, like, let me get to know you. I'm not going to turn you into the person that I want you to be. I'm going to get to know who you are so you can be the person you are. And because I know you obviously are garden. I mean, who's better at gardening? It's not dissimilar in the sense that there are different kinds of plants. There are different kinds of flowers. They need different care. And it's the same thing with children and their temperament. Some children need a different kind of care than others. So even just paying attention to your two different grandchildren are they, you know, did they come into this world just sort of with a different 
way of being and responding? Is one more sensitive than the other one? Does one get more upset easily? Pay attention, right? Yeah. So the first half of your book lays out your five principles, the five R's of parenting. It sounds like the five D's of going public, you know, death, dementia, you know. They're terrible, the five D's. I had to write that. You have to write them in your prospectus when you're going public. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's horrible. But uh, let's, <laughs> let's, talk through, let's talk through the five R's okay. carefully. Relationships. Okay. Figuring out how you connect is really key. So do you ever think about, like, how do you best connect with the kids, the grandkids? Let's, oh. let's do the grandkids. Well, yeah, let's do the grandchildren. Yeah. yeah, you have to really just distinguish and pay attention to what they are. I think, and, um, do you notice when you feel... We're going to turn this into a therapy session. I know. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the experience being connected. <laughs> no, you don't need to do that. But I, I'm curious. I think it's just something to think about. What, what helps you connect? What makes you feel like, oh, I like being here. I feel connected. Well, giving them something that they wouldn't get otherwise. Like, like floor seats at the Knicks game with the Celtics. <laughs> You know, if I can do that, if I can deliver that to the kid, then they're then in. and with his friends, he can invite his friends to come along. Then, all is well, <laughs> for a moment, for a moment. Remember that, grandparents, and parents too. I mean, it really does help, actually. But that's, it's not about the gift so much; no. it's about the experience of the gift. Yeah, that's one way that you find that you can kind of draw them in and laugh together and right. enjoy each other. Right, and that really does help and not forcing them to do things because they don't want to be forced. Children do not want to be forced to do things. I mean, it depends because if it's something they should be doing, like a service to others, going to school, taking the dishes to the sink and putting them in the dishwasher, being kind to someone, you know, that's a moment where they might not want to, but it's not a choice. That's one of your rules. Whereas there are a lot of things where dragging them unnecessarily doesn't build the connection. And I think being comfortable that sometimes it's a have to and sometimes it's not and deciding that's your values. Like I wouldn't be able to decide what is a have to for you. As a grandparent, I don't like to be pushed. A have to. Yeah. I don't want to be a have to. That's that's actually good advice for grandparents. Maybe for grandparents, the have to is not super helpful. Reflection. Mm. So reflection, I think, is a very unsung hero of these principles because it really just requires taking a breath and thinking about what you want, what your goals are, what your intentions are, and what your past experiences were. So if there's something in your childhood that you didn't really make sense of, it's going to come out in your relationships. So reflection is hard. A lot of people just want to skip it. Do you ever, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like really thinking about how, you know, what was your life like when you were a kid? It was great. And so what, if it was great, were you trying to replicate that experience? Were you wondering why that wasn't happening? It was very different being having six kids running around a house. Yeah, and one. And, and not very much money. And, and one child running around a house with more money yeah. and, and more opportunities, more travel, more excitement. But my life was so exciting. It was so nice uh, with, with six kids running it was around. Fun. Yeah. It was more fun, more, more inclusive, I think, instead of exclusive. Mm-hmm. So reflection. What about regulation? Is that rules? No, No, that's that's before rules. rules. You have to regulate. So when your children, because a lot of people say, how do I get my child to have self-regulation? And self-regulation is just kind of your capacity to have intentional behaviors, intentional emotions. You're goal-oriented. You're not just using your primitive brain and being reactive all the time. You're not flying off the handle at the barista for messing up because you can take a moment and say, is that going to serve me or anybody else around me? Probably not. And so if you struggle with that, it's something to 
work on so that your kids can learn from borrowing your nervous system. That's called co-regulation. But if you haven't figured out how to regulate yourself, it's hard for the kids to learn. It's also highly associated with the positive outcomes that we, we think about. So it's actually more predictive than IQ of academic success. Mm. And rules. Okay, rules are just an R word for boundaries and setting limits. So the boundaries are what's interpersonal between us and limits. And should that be done by the parents? Yeah. It, yeah. If it's not done, if you're just in a close relationship but you have no rules, it doesn't feel safe. And repair when other things go wrong? Is that what happens? Yeah, when there's a disconnection, it's a bringing you back to being connected. And that's going to happen all the time. We never are always connected. So just believing and showing your kids that we come back and we're steady and sometimes we're having a moment where we're disconnected, but then we come back together. And I think that's one that helps us not feel like things are perfect, which is, there, there is something to that because so many things that you do have to be perfect or they would not, they just wouldn't work as well. well but this is not, the, this is not the, the relationships can't be. And so they have to be able to come back to connection. Well, which leads, if, um, if I guess the repair, if you have trouble with that, it leads to resilience. Now, is resilience important? I mean, I, I think the, the key is that these, I chose five principles that are very highly linked with resilience. And resilience is like, you, you can bounce back in the face of setbacks and adversity and, you know, deep stress and trauma. So resilience is super important. It's not something that you just have as a quality. It's something you need to, to have support for. And there's also life circumstances that that make it harder. But say someone, when a parent gets sick. Yeah. And so, and you have to, you have to have resilience. You have to put on a good face or whatever you have to do to make, make your children not feel uncomfortable, right? Or let them know that that feeling of discomfort is okay and it makes sense. And you'll be there to talk to them about it and hold them through it, but that you're not trying to pretend it doesn't exist. As a grandma, I, I entertain uh, the friends of my grandchildren. I, I try to do that on a regular basis. And so... I find some kids are just so great, and some are not so great. <laughs> but they're so pleasant and so caring and so nice to their friends, and and uh, that kind of that kind of camaraderie with your with their peers is so delightful. A lot of things are developed because you're you can have a temperament like I you know you might bend a little bit more thoughtful, but usually you also have someone modeling that for you and having that expectation. And over time, you get a feedback loop that that feels good because it does feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, there's better connection. But there are some kids, of course. I mean, sometimes you just come out and you're just a certain way. But for the most part, we can help. Watch Fargo. <laughs> I've never seen such rotten children as in Fargo. Usually. Have you ever had to deal with anything that bad? Typically, if it... If a child is developing, they go through phases. So sometimes you go through a rotten phase, but with loving support and with your parents believing, like, look, your behavior is rotten, but you are not rotten. That's important because you don't want to name, you don't want to call out and shame who a person is. You might say their behavior is unacceptable, but their core is acceptable. And I think that's the difference between kids who can realize they can do better and kids who are like, I guess I'm a, you know, I guess I'm terrible. So... What I get from the book, when I, uh, having read it, is that um, over, uh, the overreaching goal is to really build resiliency in, yeah. a, in, a, in a human being. Uh, and so those hallmarks of, of a resilient child. For resi- well, I mean, it's a bounce-back ability. 
Okay. You know, when, when you have a setback, can you come back from it? Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble, that it's not going to hurt, that you're not going to feel hard feelings. It just means, like, you can weather the storms. There are skills we can build in our kids that are very much resilience building. Gratitude, autonomy, motivation, empathy, and self-regulation. Those are skills that are very much linked with resilience bouncing back. So that's a skill, not a quality of... Mm-hmm. Oh. So some people, sure. There are dandelions that just like came out of the womb and they just are like, I don't need anything but a tiny bit of sunlight, water, and soil and I'm growing anywhere. But for the most part, if you're not a dandelion, your resilience comes from building these skills and you have to exercise the muscles to get those skills. The second half of your book gives examples of how to apply the five principles to any common parenting situation. So you you talk about tempest versus crisis. From every parent that I've talked to and being a parent from birth through adolescence, what are each of the points where somebody comes to me and says, like, this is really hard? And it's so often the same thing. And it's just finding out we're not alone. This is happening for a lot of us. And there are ways to respond it doesn't mean you're going to get the outcome that you're looking for in that moment. It really is a long game. I would think of this as a marathon. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We have questions from the audience. Okay. You want to ask, answer some of these? Dr. Elisa. <laughs> when my kids test me by not putting coat on, I ignore it. But if we've got to go, I end up losing my temper. Any tips? Royson in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, how old are the kids? Are they much Six years old yeah. and four years old. That's pretty young. That's pretty young. One of the things is you can just decide, this is what my expectation is that you're putting a coat on. If you're not putting your coat on and I don't have time to argue, you can hold your coat. We'll go outside. When you get cold, you'll put your coat on. And then that is all about our own regulation. Like, why, why is it worth getting yeah, Why are about? you about that, right? Like, it's the, just a, the person it's just who's, a coat. yeah, it's, it's almost like, Decide what really matters and don't waste your time arguing about the stuff that's just annoying. Catching the bus is more important than putting your coat on. How do you manage anger outbursts? From yourself or from the child? I don't know. It doesn't say. Hmm. Okay. Interestingly, both. it's the same both thing. I heard both. Okay, thank you. It's the same. You would do the same thing. So when there's an anger outburst, you want to regulate yourself and recognize this alarm system that we have. So if you think about how we tell ourselves if there's an emergency and we need to be angry, we need to fight what's fight, flight, or freeze, it's, that's what a stress response is. So if a child is having an angry outburst, most likely it's because they're having a stress response. Something is making them feel like they are threatened. They don't like something. Something doesn't feel good. Something makes them angry. So they go into that outburst because they don't have self-regulation yet. They don't have that skill. And so if we, as the parent can regulate ourselves, even if our child is having the outburst, then we can come toward them with what they need and they borrow our nervous system. We don't need to meet them like a tornado and get everybody in a bigger outburst. And over time, they catch that. They catch that we don't think it's an emergency when they're upset and angry and screaming. We might say, if they're older, like, this is untenable for me because I can't, I, I don't want to be treated like this, so I'm get your feelings out, just do them elsewhere, and then we'll talk when you're calmer because I can't be yelled at like this. But for younger kids, they really just need help regulating, and it might be as simple as putting your hand on your heart or running your hand under cold water or something that engages your parasympathetic nervous system because that tells your body there's no threat, you could take a nap. And that's what you need. When I was growing up, the most popular book was Cheaper by the Dozen. I don't know, do you know what that is? Yeah. That's about a family that in Montclair, New Jersey, I grew up in Nutley, New Jersey, with six kids in my family. But Cheaper by the Dozen, they had 12 kids in the family. So is it better to have more kids, less kids, one kid? What do you, what do you think? As a, okay. as a doctor, what do you think? Um, it depends on your goals. So one thing is just simply, do you have the resources? Yeah. Um, and another thing is, what, can you, what do you feel like you can manage? There is no, we don't see differences in, for example, singleton children and multi-children when it comes to their social skills in the long run. You don't? No, but in the short run, you need a little help and you need to bring kids around and help for socialization purposes, but it doesn't long-term have an impact. You can have as many or as few kids as you want if you have the capacity. It's much more, again, about the relationship. The question here is, what do you do after you've had a fight with your kid? How do you separate the values uh, that you want to raise your kids with from the ones that raised you? So that's reflection, and that's really just making a decision. I like to um, call on a very old trick in this field, which is a family mission statement or a family value statement, and sit down 
and just first write, like set a five minutes. So write, write, the write statement. down all of the words you can think of that matter to you about what you know, what kind of values you have. And then when you see repeated things, circle them and come up with three or four that really, really matter. And just say, in this household, we value. And it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. But I mean, there's some wrong. But you just want to know so that you can focus your rules, your boundaries, your limits, and how you make decisions around that mission statement. And then you can only do that if you have the reflection of like, well, what did my family value? Like in my household, maybe it was education, grades, and kindness. And now I'm raising my kids and I want it to be joy. I'm trying not to put anything in anybody's mind, but something else. Um, Three other ones that aren't aligned. Then you need to figure out, okay, I know what my values are. These are going to be the rules and boundaries in my house. How do you prepare um, a toddler for a second child? Oh, okay. You wait until you're showing or talking about a baby, or if you're adopting a baby, you wait till you're telling everybody and talking about it, and then you can say very straightforward the first relationship, so you connect with your child, like, I love you, we're very excited, here's some news, this is what's happening, and lay out the plan. They don't really understand time, so you might say something like, it's winter now, and when it becomes springtime and the weather gets warmer, we're going to have a baby. And then don't spend the rest of the time just fixated on forcing that connection. Like, you're, this is going to be your best friend. This is going to be amazing. You sort of don't make it the center of everything and slowly build. Can you talk more about the social media oh. pressure to be a perfect parent in these times? Yeah, I feel so much for parents. And I'm a parent too, but I do not pressure myself to be perfect because I'm so... This is like the one thing that I would say I've really, I've been clinging to, which is we do our kids a disservice when we are perfect because then they don't know that they're allowed to not be perfect. So I think when you see this stuff on social media, you have to remind yourself that we make a choice about, the same thing we'll teach our kids. We make a choice about what we show in social media. We're not just showing everything. And, you know, unless your whole thing is to show how imperfect you are, then you're going to put whatever best face forward seem perfect, or maybe it's even um, a parenting account that makes it feel like every moment has to be perfect. And I think we all need to just embrace the fact that perfect is harmful and the imperfect is actually better. And so if you are a perfectionist and you're like, well, I want to get this perfect, then you best make mistakes in front of your kids. How do you um, emotionally respond to a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. You can see how you really only need five five principles because I'm (laughs) going to say the same thing again, (laughs) which is, okay, I have to regulate myself and remind myself this toddler is not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Everybody is safe. This is a feeling. I'm going to do what I need to remind myself of that. Like, I'm a big hand-on-heart person because that makes me feel a little bit like a little oxytocin hit. That's a that's a little thing that some people do. Some people get annoyed by it. You have to know yourself. Um, whatever you can do to take a breath and tell yourself, there is not an emergency. I don't need to chase this toddler around to make this toddler feel better. I can just be available and let them know that I'm here through my you know, my nervous system saying it, even if they're screaming. And when they're ready, they come to you and they might need a hug. But you don't need to chase the feeling and fix it with like, giving them the blue cup when they wanted it or changing everything around or moving your seat because they're so upset. You can just understand that sometimes it's very hard to be a toddler. Here's a good one. My kids are 13 and 16. Is it too late? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my God. No. I mean, we're talking no, about No, it is not too late, right? Yeah, no. it's never too late. That's the cool thing about being humans. We are constantly growing and changing, and it's never too late. When it comes to punishment or consequences in negotiating the type of punishment, is it more damaging? As the teenage, This is a teenager problem, they, they write. <laughs> Example, we- no cell phone. As a punishment? Then your child says... Uh, how long? One week or two weeks? You know, you're negotiating yeah. one week or no week or two weeks with it. I mean, I th- mean, it doesn't work, does it? Typically, punishment for the sake of punishment is not effective. Yeah. You want consequences to be logical or natural. So, if it's natural because you're taking the phone away because they were sending, you know, selfies that were inappropriate or they were bullying somebody, it's appropriate to say you're not ready for this phone right now, so I need to take it because I need to protect you developmentally. And we'll take a break. You were misusing it. We'll get back to it, and that's it. And that's where rules are really important. And if you want to talk to them about how long feels reasonable, that's okay, but don't keep changing it. Just make a decision, empathize with them because it stinks to have your phone taken away, and then you know, accept that they're going to be really mad at you, and you're going to love them anyway, and you'll get past it and repair. Any rules about when they should get a phone, when they should get an iPad. I mean, schools are giving out iPads when yeah. they're in kindergarten now. And of course, they're regulated content, but what do you do about a cell phone? I mean, I would push a cell phone off as long as possible, like, until it's just socially, like, really problematic. But we're learning every year. We don't actually have great data yet, but we're every time anything comes out, it's typically, like, letting us know that take a little bit longer. And just because you have a phone doesn't mean you can have social media. And just because you have a phone doesn't mean that you have access to it all the time. So parents have to also be ready to monitor the phones. I feel like maybe my child had the developmental skills, but I did not have the time as a mother to focus on helping them learn to use the phone properly. So I punted. What do you do when your children will not listen? Let's just say, if, you're, if your goal is compliance, like, I just want this kid to listen, then make sure that you're very clear about the rules, that you're not throwing a thousand things at them, and that when you ask them and, or tell them what to do versus what not to do, you're helping them understand how to behave in the world, not just telling them no, 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 no all the time. And then when they do listen, let them know you notice. Um, but the other thing is, is if they're not listening all the time, and there's absolutely no consequence to not listening, they don't really have a reason to listen. If you're like, clean the dishes, or you can't fill in the blank, and they're like, no, and then they go get to do whatever they want, why would they listen? I think they're very smart not to listen. So I think we have to say that we can decide what's important to us and just say, okay, until you do the dishes, the things that you want to be doing are just not available. My parents, and I wouldn't drink my milk, they would, we had to sit at the table until we drank our glass of milk. It was horrible. I sat there one night for six hours. <laughs> and then I drank the milk because I wanted to go to bed. Because you wanted to go to bed. So yeah. what did you do for six hours? I listened to the radio. The radio was on. You know, we listened to some radio, I guess. I have no idea what I did. But then, by then, the milk was so horrible. It was warm, warm. you know, almost sour. And, but I think my parents were good parents. <laughs> Because they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't give up on something so stupid as having to drink milk. I mean, there's another way to look at it, which is they, maybe for them that was super important, but maybe 
to another parent, they're like, I don't really care about the milk. I'm not going to make it a rule, so then we're not going to negotiate. Because I think a lot of times we make rules and we can't stick to no, it. It was just, I mean, when you have six kids yeah, you're just not drinking, drinking their milk, and that's pretty bad. You weigh six glasses of milk. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I thought they, I thought it was smart. After I thought about it, I, I thought it was smart. Did it work? Yeah. You, we, we always drank our milk. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I always drank our milk. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I do not drink milk. Now you milk. never no, will. No. <laughs> I feel like that's very telling. What should parents keep in mind when trying to communicate with a, tr- a teenager? Um, that we are not, we are brilliant and wise and know exactly what they're going through, but we need to just zip it. Zip it. Yeah. Being curious and listening is much more effective. So sometimes you see a family where one child seems to have some strong, confident adult, have become a strong, confident adult, um, whereas a sibling has really struggled. Mm-hmm. What does that indicate? Is it, is it temperament? Uh, I think it's temperament. Yeah, not genetics. There's something in the research called goodness of fit. If, the, if a parent is a really good fit for one kid who just kind of came out, responds to the world in one way, and it just makes more sense for that parent, then that child might get a little bit more of what they need than the child who the parent is not interested in or just doesn't understand. How does a parent actually become um, just kind to each child. I mean, my mom was so kind to each of us and, uh, and treated us all equally, even though we were so unequal. <laughs> <laughs> we could never understand how she could be so fair, but she was. It was so great. And when you, when you think about it, it's an amazing way to be. So she must have been a good parent, right? You are the only one who knows this. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and I think that, it's in the, that, that is for us to, to know, to feel, to decide. But... It's I, think all, I think all six of us thought that, that she was a really great parent. The father, not so much. But, uh, but the mother was but the so... Mother, but you only needed one. Yeah, only one. See, she, yeah. was, she was the one. I'm, now I'm, <laughs> I'm understanding my youth. It was so great. Uh, how is parenting different now than it was 10 years ago? I, I see a lot of difference. You do? Oh, yeah. Tell me what you see. Well, I just see um, laxity. Mm-hmm. I see parents now, two parents working instead of one parent working. Uh, less attention. I do think that in the last 10 years, some combination of like the influx of information and the almost commodification of this relationship and the optimization culture of parenting has kind of exploded, which is why I was very hesitant to write a, a book because it's hard. I want to provide information and support, but not so much that we become rigid and feel like this all has to be micromanaged, but not so little that you're just left to... But obviously from the questions we got, and we need it. We yeah. need help. No, we shouldn't be left alone for no. this. this. We used to, long ago, we used to have a whole community that was not yeah, online. Oh, well, no, we had our, our grandparents. Village. We yeah. had our great-grandparents. We had all kinds of people around us. Yeah, and we really need that. It's not fair yeah. to do this alone. Yeah, it's very difficult. Why should parents not be friends with their children? Well, but you can, they can be friends with you, but they cannot, it can't be reciprocal. Like, you never want your child to take care of your emotions. You're there to take care of their emotions. They can share their secrets with you, but it, it becomes a boundary issue when they're like, I need to take care of the grown-up in my life or they won't be okay. That doesn't feel safe. Remember that. I think that's very important advice. Yeah, it's hard because it's fun, especially as they get older and, you know, don't live their lives. Yeah. Right? Live your own life. Absolutely. That's very important to say. Any other questions? Yes. Do you have any other tips for nervous system regulation? 
I have like an entire chapter on that with lots of lists because that is a thing. Because if this, which I do, is annoying, there are other <laughs> things that you can do. I, I put regulation exercises at the end of each chapter because that seems to be the thing. It's like all of this sounds great until you're like taking time every day to do something that exercises the muscle, which is why meditation is awesome. But not most parents don't have time or don't feel like they have time, so I try to find like micro moments. Anything that makes you have a practice of just reminding yourself that you can breathe is incredibly effective. And it doesn't always work because then something gets thrown at you and you lose it. But when you practice every day, it just reminds your whole body that you're able to turn off the alarm system. I talk about the passcode to your internal alarm system. So um, if you could only give one piece of advice, what would it be? I think it would be, I give two choices. Yeah, you can give two. Okay. I think it would be to remind ourselves that more often than not, we are the parents we want to be, and that is good enough, or all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. The end, I think. Mm. Or you get the whole book, which would be better. (laughs) (laughs) This has been so informative, and I know it will help many, many people. Our podcast listeners can find the five principles of parenting uh, wherever you buy books. And for those of us at the 92nd Street Y, New York, you can purchase signed copies here tonight. Thank you so much, Dr. Pressman, Dr. Aliza. Um, Good luck with the book and good luck with your practice. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.